Hello and welcome to Food to Go, the podcast brought to you by New Food Magazine. As ever, I'm joined by Grace. Grace, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Josh. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Listen, if you can hear that slight, warm, echoey sound, it's because we're back in the office after the new year. If you listen to the 2022 roundup episode, you'll know that we had a well bit of weather trouble, didn't we? So weather trouble. We were snowed in. We were snow- so well, I wasn't. Safe. I live in. Well, Grace lives in le- a leafy part of the country, and I live in a not so leafy part of London. So um, I was fine. The pollution melts us not impact, so not an issue. But you couldn't get out of your country lane, could you? I couldn't even, no, couldn't get out of my drive for about three days. So I was properly snowed in, but work from home meant that I could keep keep powering through. So. Keep powering through, I know. Everyone that I know got the uh, day off, but we didn't. Anyway, we digress. Good one today. Insect protein. You say good one. Well, it's a very good podcast, but I... Mm. So we've had a lot of discussion about this this week. Um, I'm broadly up for insects as a protein source. You're not. I'm and very really, much not, no. You're not, but that's great because that really gets to the heart of what today's discussion is about. So the insect protein market is already like quite a considerable size. It's, it's a topic that we've covered yeah. a lot on New Food this mm-hmm. year and last. Um, you found some good stats, Grace, there, haven't you? Because you're more prepared than I am. Yeah, well, the global insect protein market size was estimated to be worth $153.92 million in 2021. That is big. That is big. It also grew to best part of $190 million in 2022. So it's that's only um, it's only on the up. Some estimates will put it at $856 million US dollars by 2029. So long prediction. Obviously, we take that with a bit of salt, as we always do. Well, maybe by 2029, I'll have actually tried to... Well, let's hope so. Let's thing. hope so. Um, I mean, there's no two ways about it. it is, it's coming, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, the argument is whether we use it as human food or mm-hmm. food for animals, animals or yeah. other insects, even. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got an expert, haven't we, to discuss this? We do. She understands the topic far better than us, but the interview's great. It certainly is. So we spoke to Jessica Danaher, who is a senior lecturer of nutrition at RMIT in Melbourne. Well, I got up very early in the morning to speak to her and um, very kindly Jessica stayed on a bit later at night to make it work as we were dialing all the way in from Melbourne to London. But yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I'm excited for you to hear it, Grace. Yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait. So we are delighted to be joined by Jessica Danaher, who is a senior lecturer in nutrition at RMIT University in Melbourne. Jess, good morning, good evening, I guess. Thank you so much for joining us from the other side of the world in Melbourne. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me, Josh. It's great to be joining you. Not at all. Um, I always ask this question. I mean, Grace, you just spend a good five minutes on the weather in our podcast. Um, so I will ask the inevitable question because it's minus four here in London. How warm is it in Melbourne? Oh, are you ready for this? It is 36 degrees today. So quite hot. It is definitely one for the air con. Yeah, prime beach weather. Unfortunately, I had to work, so I didn't get down to the beach. But yeah, it's a delightful day, I I would say. Um, For some people, maybe you touch too hot. I'll tell you what, I would take 36 degrees at the moment. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be warm at the moment. So 36 degrees, that sounds lovely. Do feel free to send some our way. We'll take some heat off you. (laughs) 
a friend of mine in London, yeah, messaged me this morning saying it's minus three and about to snow. And I just thought I cannot even grapple that fact because, <laughs> yeah, here we're sweating beads. It is really, really cold here. I could sit and talk about Australian weather all day, but um, you've not come on the podcast to discuss Melbourne geography. You've come on to discuss insects. We met in Ephos in Dublin, didn't we? And you delivered a superb presentation on, I suppose, how attitudes to eating insects might just be changing around the world um, but before we get onto that just for some context are there any places currently that already eat insects in their diets regularly yeah so eating insects is common in many world regions so it's thought that they're already eaten by more than two billion people around the world so that is roughly about 20 percent of the population and it's mostly in the tropics it's most common in africa than anywhere else in the world they have the richest diversity of edible insects and it's also quite common in Asian populations. Whereas in Western cultures, so when we talk about Australia, the UK and Europe, it's not so mainstream. And in Australia, insects have been a staple in Indigenous Australian diets for tens of thousands of years. But these days, it's something that just doesn't commonly feature on Aussie menus. So I guess my next question to that will be, why not? Why is it that some areas of the world are used to eating insects and it's just as part of the diet as, as any other food source and in some parts of the world some people couldn't think of anything worse what why is there that massive discrepancy yeah it's interesting hey like these attitudes have sort of shifted over time because it's thought that years ago like we're talking even in ancient roman and ancient greek sort of time that insects were a common food uh cicadas were thought to be a delicacy and it's likely that with westernized countries many people have lost their taste for edible bugs because we've shifted from this hunter-gatherer lifestyle to agriculture and urbanisation. So when we started farming crops and domesticating animals, insects went from fulfilling a role as potentially a staple food to being seen as pests that would destroy our crops and make the animals unwell. So we believe that this has prompted a shift in our attitudes towards eating them. So we're talking about behavioural shifts over tens of thousands of years, I suppose, in some parts of the world, which has led to us considering crickets or, or other insects as pests and absolutely not something that belongs on the dining room table. That's quite a long period of time that change must have happened. That's right. And we're seeing now insects sort of being spruiked as potential alternative proteins that we might be able to incorporate in our diets in the future because we know that they are sustainable. Sustainable, they're nutritious, they are delicious. And there are examples of foods that were once, I guess, considered as repulsive and now are delicacies. So lobster, for example, once upon a time in the US, lobster was something that was considered inferior. It was fed to people of a, a lower socioeconomic status. Uh, and I've read given to prisoners. And now think of lobster, like if you are buying lobster, you are cashed up. So that paradigm shift has changed when it comes to edible insects. We still want these to be affordable, but there is that potential for the paradigm to shift as we move into a future where we need alternatives in our food supply. I can't believe that about a lobster. That's that's crazy. So they used to feed it to prisoners. It was considered just just food for anybody. And like you say now, wouldn't even dream of buying a lobster in the fish market. That's incredible. <laughs> exactly. I suppose though that happens with so many foods, doesn't it? I mean, I always think of pork belly as the prime example, which even 20 years ago was a really, really cheap cut of meat. And now you find it in sort of high-end restaurants. And it's a really, really nice, nice dish of pork. So I suppose it does happen, doesn't it? 
Exactly. Those paradigm shifts over time. And we're seeing now, I guess, from a market perspective, that people are choosing foods that, I guess, relate to their their idea of what is environmentally sustainable because people are becoming more aware than ever before of environmental issues and, and health issues as well. So, sort of people are, are starting to see that there are other foods that are available that might, I guess, fit in a little bit a little bit better with their, their value system and shifting towards those sort of foods. So, we do believe that edible insects will become more on the market as years go by, as well as other sort of alternative proteins like cultured meat and, and other plant-based foods. So, let's get into your research that you presented at FOST in Dublin. Do you think that attitudes to insects are changing in what I've called and what is called the global north or, or I suppose parentheses western diets? Do you see an attitude shift happening there? Is it the same across multiple demographics? Are young people more keen? What have you, yeah, what have you so, found out? Well with our research at RMIT we actually just surveyed Australians. However, there has been similar research that has been undertaken for European groups. So, we have comparable data, somewhat comparable data at least. My team, what we did is ask Aussies what their experience was with eating insects, what their attitudes were towards it. And we wanted to have our findings, I guess, offer insight into what factors might convince people to add edible insects into their diet. So, Of the Aussies that my team surveyed, we found that 56% reported that they would be likely to eat insects in the future. Now, that was much more promising than a result from a recent European survey where it was found that there's not much of a taste for edible insects in European countries. So, in Europe, on average, as few as 10% of consumers would be willing to, quote, replace meat with insects. But that might come down to the question that was asked, I guess, in that survey. So, in the European report, the question was, in the future, would you be willing to replace meat with insects and insect derivatives? In our study, we asked, uh, in the future, would you be willing to eat insects? I think with the European study, that word replace suggests to me an all-or-nothing approach. So, rather than something like, would you sometimes be willing to replace your meat with insects, that might have been why I guess the the data is so different. So, you're looking at 10% or on average 10% of Europeans saying yes, whereas we were finding 56% of Australians would be keen if the opportunity uh, revealed themselves. In the Australian group, we also found that that figure increased to 82% among those who had already tried them. So, if people had tried edible insects in the past, they were more likely to eat them again. And that just shows that they must be delicious because people are willing to give them a second go. Do you think there's another reason for that discrepancy in the studies, though? I mean, that question, I completely agree with you. That is quite a different in in phrasing. That does suggest that you'd replace all of your meat intake with insects, which I think we can both agree is not going to happen inside this decade for certain. Do you see any other reasons why Aussies would be so much more willing to try insects and certainly go back to them once they've already tried them? Ultimately, the surveys did look at different things. Ours was just based on edible insects, whereas the European survey looked at a couple of types of, of alternatives. And with the answers, they were looking for you know a yes or a no or unsure. In our study, we did offer a, a bit more of an opportunity to answer. We had a like a point scale so people could 
say whether they strongly disagreed with that statement to strongly agreed. But what we did in, in ours is also say, you know, if you don't want to eat them or if you hadn't eaten those before, you know, what was that reason why? And the European study really didn't go into that detail. Altogether in that study, there was just 10 questions. They did ask people from 11 different countries. So it was still a big study to conduct, but they didn't really go into the nitty gritty as to why people might have those answers. For our team, we thought that people who hadn't eaten insects, or particularly the Australians that hadn't, they might have done so because they potentially had this view of the practice being disgusting or incompatible with their personal beliefs. And certainly previous research with older Australians has revealed that sort of tendency. And we thought that might raise concern about a reluctance of eating these insects in the future. But it turns out most Australians weren't deterred by like an ick factor of eating insects. And instead, they said that they would be willing to try them as a protein alternative, if not for a lack of opportunity. So most of the people who hadn't given them a go yet, and that was 56% of those people that hadn't tried insects, they said it was a lack of opportunity that was holding them back. It was only 18% comparatively that reported disgust as their factor to not try insects before. So there really is a build it and they will come scenario here, although that must be quite the leap for a manufacturer or retailer to take because it's a leap of faith, isn't it? Putting insect products on shelves when the data suggests people will try them, will buy them, but it's not concrete yet. Um, do you see a scenario in the next couple of years, three years, where insects or insect derived products are readily available to buy on most Australian supermarket shelves? Yeah, so the market predictions around the world is that the insect and edible insect market will grow. And whether that is just for human consumption or insects that can be used as feed for other insects, that's another area that's sort of booming and being looked into. I do think it's something that we'll see more of. So we actually asked the Australian cohort that we were surveying, if you were willing to give insects a go, like what would you want to be eating? And most said insect-based flowers. So we're talking about uh, indistinguishable forms of insects that were potentially found in things like bread or pasta or biscuits. What came in second was chocolate-coated ants. And then we had crickets come in third as the top choices. Not all species were received in the same way. However, we had moths and fly larvae not generating such buzz. So there's something about the wing factor there that people just can't get their head around. Still, that shift towards a willingness to try insects is promising for the growing global insect market. We found that with our participants, most were aged between the ages of 25 to 44 years. So it's showing that Aussies have begun to adopt a more positive outlook towards edible insects and insect-based foods. And it's predicted that this younger generation who are becoming more environmentally conscious, environmentally aware, will also be more open-minded when it comes to alternative products. And incorporating them into familiar food items such as flour represents one way of improving their acceptance. That's really interesting and it's just a shame that you couldn't speak to Grace because in our prep for this I asked her the question like Grace would you uh, would you eat an insect and she couldn't say no quick enough and I said <laughs> oh well we're speaking to the expert next week so uh, you'll have to be talked around. But I do think you're right and I, I, I'm not sure I can imagine eating like a whole cricket at the moment but would I eat cricket or mealworm flour pasta? Probably. It's not that big of a leap, is it? 
No, it's not. And it's interesting because when I often speak to the media or I see images in the media about edible insects, it's always, yeah, that, that insect as a whole, which of course is an option if that's what someone wants to eat, but it's not what seems to be most likely to be adopted mainstream. So it are these indistinguishable sort of insect-based flowers that are more likely to come onto the market. Now, I remember speaking to someone on the radio once about about this same topic and they said, oh, so what are you saying? I need to replace my steak on my plate with a mountain of crickets. And I mean, like, no, uh, if you want to do that, by all means, like I'm not here to yuck your yum. And if that's what you want to do, absolutely go for it. But you can incorporate these foods in less visually obvious ways in your diet. No, I think you're spot on and we're probably to blame for that. I mean, I did get a telling off another conference I went to about the way that the media portrays cultured meat and often ourselves included we use images of a lab or a petri dish with a steak inside it because that's what demonstrates the story is obviously and is clear to the audience as quickly as possible the same goes for insects i'm certainly guilty of using a picture of a big crate of mealworms when we're discussing mealworm pasta and we probably don't do any favors for uh, insect flower manufacturers so that is definitely worth bearing in mind isn't it and that's it a picture tells a thousand words and i would not hold it against you if you advertise this podcast with that same sort of picture because you know for the news and for the media and and people engaging in that yeah they they already know what that story is going to be about whereas if you're putting i guess i don't know a, a bowl of flour then they have no idea of the context unless you put a couple of you know dried crickets sort of around it so yeah it's definitely feeds into sort of uh, the projection of what edible insects in the future might be like but definitely from what the consumers want we're looking at more insect-based flowers chocolate coated ants so somewhere where it is indistinguishable regulations to food to go will know that i usually bring a hefty dose of cynicism at this point in the interview um jess and I, I, I won't fail to deliver in this episode either do you see insects as the alternative protein source that some are heralding them as i mean for some people they are the answer to all of our prayers whether that means animal feed whether that means protein alternatives whether it means flower alternatives do you see it that way or do you think we need to be a little bit more cautious about the way that we speak about insects as a possibility i think that insects are a answer. They're not the only answer though, and nor, nor should they be. Uh, there are other protein solutions that people can get around, such as plant-based meats and, and cultured meats. But ultimately, edible insects do have a potential as an important future food. They offer a nutritious protein source that is more sustainable to produce. So it uses less land and energy and water than more conventional options. And we need to be embracing some of those options as we move forward into the future. We have got a population that is increasing our demand for protein specifically is on the rise and it's thought that protein in particular will have to increase by 76% by 2050. We can't keep doing what we're doing. We just can't keep doing the same as we have been when it comes to where and how we get our protein in the food supply. We already know that what we do currently is unsustainable. It's damaging for the environment. So we can't just continue continue as business per usual as that population increases and the demand on the food supply increases. So yes, I see insects as having potential as part of a much bigger solution and that it can feed significant numbers of people if grown in purpose-built environments, but they are not the only answer. So your primary qualification, Jess, is in nutrition. That's your expertise. I'm going to ask you a food safety question in just a second, but um, I'll ease you into that with a question that I'm hoping will be more on home turf. 
how comparable are insects in terms of nutritional profile to our more traditional protein sources? I mean, are we going to have to eat significantly more insects than we would say mincemeat or, or, or chicken? Are there any other vitamins that insects don't provide that we get from beef? I'm thinking perhaps of B12. What's the nutritional profile of, of, of these potential products and how do they compare to what we eat already? So insects have a high amount of fat as well as other nutrients. We speak a lot about protein, but that there are other things that they've got as well, such as minerals like copper, iron and, and magnesium that are important. When it comes to how much protein and fat and those other nutrients that they contain, well, this will vary between species and the life cycle stage of that insect. However, the protein content of insects is frequently around 40 to 60% of that insect body weight, and it will provide all the essential amino acids for human nutrition. So when we compare an adult cricket, for example, uh, when it looks at per weight, it's about 65% protein by weight, which is higher than both beef and options like tofu. So it does pack a punch when it comes to protein. When we look at different protein sources, we always kind of compare per 100 grams anyway, so we can make a judgment that has an equal sort of weighting when it comes to the nutrients. No, that makes perfect sense. So here comes perhaps a trickier question. The other point I heard raised at EFOST after your presentation were potential food safety concerns around bioaccumulation. Insects are bioaccumulators and would have to eat significantly more creatures, I suppose, to reach that protein level. Are you worried that things like heavy metals and other contaminants at that level of consumption start becoming a problem much more quickly than they do with other protein sources? Yeah, you're right. So feeding insects, uh, particularly organic byproducts, will require careful management. And that's to avoid the risk of chemical and microbial contamination. And we know that these insects can usually digest certain contaminants and there is that potential for harmful bioaccumulation. So that will build it up at a rate that's higher than which they can break it down and then we eat it. So there is already some stipulations around the type of organic waste, such as you know catering waste not being able to be fed to insects that then might be used for feed in, in Europe. So those sort of health and safety regulations would apply. But that, that's the same with any sort of new and novel food on, on the market. In Australia, we have food standards, Australia, New Zealand, that do regular testing of foods that are in our food supply to make sure that anything in them isn't reaching a point that exceeds an acceptable daily intake. We spoke a little bit about uh, using the insects for feed rather than food. So when I say feed, I'm talking about animal feed as opposed to human food. And another point that got some attention over at FOST was the sustainability issue when it comes to food waste. So about 1.3 billion tonnes of food being produced for human consumption each year being wasted. So another area in which insects could be proven as being valuable is in that production of animal feed that's reared from food waste, again, with health and safety sort of regulations put in place. Uh, one insect that is creating a bit of a buzz is the black soldier fly. So that's a really cool one. It is capable of reducing food waste by growing on that food waste. So for example, eating vegetable peels rather than having that food rotting in landfill. And then they also can provide a protein alternative for animal feed. So it's sort of a double whammy solution when it comes to one of our, our biggest environmental problems and creates a circular economy solution. 
I've just had a healthy dose of nostalgia there, Jess, because my first ever story on new food was about the black soldier fly and its potential uses. So uh, I feel like we've we've come full circle today. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So where are we now then with insects as either an animal feed source or a human food source? I know that mealworms have been approved or one species of mealworms been approved in the EU as novel food. Where are we in Australia? Where are we in the US? Is this something that's going to be hitting shelves in the next 18 months? Is it something we have to wait a bit longer for? What does the landscape look like? Yeah, in Australia, we have the mealworms as well. And crickets, they seem to be um, a bit more prevalent on our market. We're not seeing so much at the moment in, I guess, mainstream sort of supermarkets. If you are buying these products, they are from more niche stores online. I cannot speak to the US market. I'm not so sure about what is available over there. In Australia as well, there are a couple of uh, Indigenous food groups. Again, you would have to go Googling online to actually find them, but they sell things like honey pot ant jam. So uh, there's estimated to be about 60 insect species which have been recorded as traditional food sources for Indigenous Australians, including witchy grubs, bogon moths and these these ants. But the ants can be made into a type of marmalade and I've certainly seen that on sale as well in Australia. So not as mainstream as they could be, but it's thought that this will gain traction over time. And certainly this type of research that my group are doing does help inform innovative food entrepreneurs that want to, I guess, get into the market with a new exciting product so we just need to get creative then i mean insect jam i didn't think we'd speak about that this morning or this evening for you uh, my mind's been opened massively in these last 20 25 minutes yet, so thank you so much for that another thing i saw recently in australia was at a bar i was at a bar and getting a gin and they had an ant infused gin so that's another interesting one again you know did won't float everyone's boat but it's something that's definitely becoming more prevalent on the market ant infused gin i mean maybe i'm ignorant but what what's the ant doing there what 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 flavor impact is the ant giving to that gin was it nice i think it was a honeypot ants in that situation as well i didn't give it a go i'd had i'd had too many at that point and i was already driving but next time i am out and about i'll be certain to give it a, give it a try oh that's criminal the uh, the foremost leader on insect protein and you've not tried the insect uh, the insect <laughs> gin deary me <laughs> So Jess, thank you so much for your time this evening. I keep saying this morning because it is very, very early for me, but very, very late for you. So thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I have learned loads. It's a shame Grace can't be here with us because I'm sure you would have changed her mind and she'd be eating insects, both whole and in powdered form tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> I'll play her your interview back and she'll be uh, she'll be transformed, I'm sure. But thanks so much for your time and for appearing on food to go And yeah, look forward to speaking to you very soon. Thank you so much, Josh. So I feel like we went straight into that, Grace, at the start of the episode. Less weather chat, but yeah. there was some weather chat in the interviews you heard, so I thought I'd save it. There always needs to be a little bit of weather chat for Always, the always. Especially as Jessica was in... Um, 30, sun- was it 36 degree Melbourne? Honestly, so it was just gone 7.15am when we got through to Jessica in Melbourne. So I was freezing cold with my cup of coffee, bleary-eyed. And then she comes down and tells me that it's 35 degrees and that some of her friends have been to, the, been to the beach that day. It's not what you want to be hearing. Not on a Monday on a morning, Tuesday, not on a Tuesday morning on a Tuesday no, morning. Um, not what you want to be hearing, not the best. So, but anyway, really interesting interview, really enjoyed it. What, what did you think, first of all? Well, it's surprising me that so many people 
are up for trying it. I know I'm quite biased because I'm very much not here for the whole insect trend for me personally, but it's quite promising that there are so many people who are quite optimistic about it and at least are willing to try it and incorporate it into their diets. Yeah, I thought that. I thought in particular it was really, I was really pleased that she highlighted the indigenous yeah. consumption of insects. Mm. This is not new for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I think it's important that we remember that and mention it. Mm-hmm. We're obviously very, I mean, I use the term global north, you can read Western mm-hmm. into that, um, even though Australia on a normal map is in the east. But anyway, mm-hmm. they do count as a global north or Western country. But for a lot of people in Australia, eating insects isn't new. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people in parts of Asia and other parts of the globe, eating insects isn't new. So we have to be a bit careful when we frame it as this big novel protein. Mm-hmm. It only is novel for some parts some of the world. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really important point to raise. And also I found it fascinating how much more Australians were up for eating insects than perhaps yeah, Europeans. Yeah. Although, as Jessica did point out, that should be caveated how the questions differed. Yeah, it was important to look at the wordings of the question because, because like, they're very, were, very different. I yeah, they like are. If you put that question are. to Europeans, there'd be different data results. I think there would be. I still think Australians would be more up for insects. I think the conclusions probably stay the same, yeah. but that question's very different. When you ask somebody, would you replace your meat intake with insects, that does sort of that does mean all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very broad question as well. You're not bringing sustainability into it. And I think if that was brought in, you'd maybe think about it a bit more. Yeah, you probably would. So I do think that had to be raised. The other thing that Jessica spoke about in Dublin, which we didn't get a chance to raise, was that because of the proximity of Australia to um, some parts of Southeast Asia where eating insects is more common, mm-hmm. a lot of Australians have been on holiday to places in Southeast Asia and have eaten insects on holiday. And then come Just home, on holiday and then... And then come home and they're not necessarily eating them day to day, but they mm-hmm. are more prone to eating insects, whereas mm-hmm. obviously opportunities for that, for European even, are a bit more mm-hmm. restricted. That was interesting. I say they're close to Southeast Asia. They're not. I mean, this never... Closer than us. They're closer than us. They are, but do you know how far away like Australia is? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's four hours from Singapore. It might have been more, which is crazy. Anyway. It's like here to Greece. Yeah, I know. It always blows my mind. But um, I found that interesting. I also found it interesting that we're not going to go for whole insect consumption. And I thought of you when she was explaining this because... That is what I visualise. Yeah, so everyone why, does. Everyone does. And you said in the interview, it's not when we kind of write articles and news on it, we'll use kind of graphic picture of like a box of mealworms or something probably we shouldn't really do that but that's not what they're talking about it's more insects in flower those kinds of things exactly i do i mean i did tell us off us being new food and (laughs) the food industry media in general i do think we have to be cut some slack in the fact that as jessica rightly pointed out it does communicate the story very quickly if i put a picture up of some pasta and the story about insect pasta Mm. you might actually feel a bit misled because that's not Mm. most people don't consider it normal Mm. pasta Mm -hmm. so there's pros and cons like i said in the um in the interview i had the same conversation at fie europe around how we present cultured meat yeah oh under the microscope yeah yeah i won't reveal too much about that because we've got a cracking video that we're going to publish shortly but yeah that was i found that interesting but yeah, those two questions are extremely different and mm. should be, we should point out they are very, very different and it is important, it is important to do so. But yeah, I picture, I picture eating like whole crickets or like yeah. whole... Which like, I, have you seen the ones on sticks? They're like caramelised. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that. you picture, like a cricket toffee apple. Oh, no. 
And you do get that reaction from people. I mean, I'd give it a go. I mean, I, I, I once had scorpion in China. Like, I'll give anything a go, me. But can we order them to the office and we can do a little new food trying video? Are they not sold in the UK? No, you probably can't get. I mean, they're not approved for food in the UK. So, okay. I mean, you can go to the. I mean, my brother once had a pet lizard and we used to feed it. I'm not eating lizard food. <laughs> no, I'm. This is another aside as we often do. <laughs> I'm not very good with bugs, I'm quite frightened of them. And I used to share him with my brother and he came back one day and said, oh yeah, you know those crickets that I bought for the lizard? I was like, yeah, he went, oh, I've lost them. I was like, what do you mean you've lost them? So they just loose, like, knocking around, yeah. Oh, to be fair, we didn't, never saw them again, so. Uh, and that was the end of that? So that was the end of that, yeah. Um, little aside for you there, little town's in the Minchin household. <laughs> but no, um, I'm not great with bugs, so does eating a big cricket or locust appeal to me? Not necessarily, but I absolutely would eat insect flower of course like I would has something changed your mind about this no you I've always, always just been, been quite open to it I've always been quite open to trying new things but yeah I, I just would try that I don't see I think the benefits that it would bring sensibility wise mm. you wouldn't notice a drop up in taste right. enough for those benefits that makes mm. sense there's a much better way of phrasing that and if you have got a better way of phrasing it do feel free to write into new food but um, yeah I, I would eat flour would you not Flour, I feel like that's slightly different. Yeah, it's it's almost the fact it's concealed inside that like, I wouldn't have much of an issue with it, but I'd still be quite apprehensive. For me, it's just the first leap of actually trying it, and then... After that, you'd be all right. Well, I'm not saying I'm going to go off and eat like a bug on a stick after flour, but I'd be significantly more likely to. Yeah, I do think we have to get it out to market. Like Jessica said, mm. people that have tried it then do go, actually, you know what, it's fine, mm. and do go for it. The insect gin. We spoke about it today, didn't we? Yeah, I've been Googling ant gin, as mentioned in the um, recording, and apparently there's 62 ants in each bottle of gin. I don't know how they count 62 ants. It'd be quite hard, but... Well, we'd love to speak to the people that make it. Yeah, we'd absolutely love to. I'd give it a go. Josh was saying this to me before. I think I would give it a go as well. So... Oh no, I'm still apprehensive. You can hear that I, I'm just, yeah, just that, I'm trying yeah. to convince myself that I would, but, but okay, I don't think I, I'll say alone. now I would, I would give it a you go. Give it a go. I don't think you're alone, and I, I, I think that's really the point of this episode, isn't it? Because I think the benefits of insect protein are quite obvious. There are some caveats which we mentioned, and yeah. we will mention in a second. We have got to get people on side in a way that we perhaps don't with cultured meat because it is still meat. That barrier is still. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So the fact that you're not keen, I think, demonstrates the task ahead of us. Mm-hmm. I'd be so curious to see if it does make its way onto sort of widespread supermarket shelves in the distant future. If it does, when do you think it would be by? Are we talking, I think we're talking five, ten? Yeah, I think we're talking that kind of time scale. I mean, when you think how long... When you think that I've been working at New Food for over two years now mm-hmm. and cultured meat was approved for consumption in Singapore then mm. it's taken two years for the same to kind of happen in the US even though it's not really happened they've just had a letter of no mm. no questions from the FDA mm-hmm. so that's like two and a half years from when it was first approved and we still haven't seen a culture meat product anywhere mm-hmm. Intakes are a bit different because the technology is not as difficult mm-hmm. but I still think we're five years off. I think with insects, it's the initial approval for like branching out into different countries and then the acceptance from consumers. See, acceptance. So there's, two, there's two hurdles to jump over there. I mean, I see insect protein being used in protein supplements, for example. Like gin? Yeah. Nah, but maybe. if you flavoured it, if you flavoured <laughs> it, like your salted caramel protein shake, for example, rather than whey protein, if that was insect protein, like, would you really know the difference? Well, probably not, no. 
but you just have to make it explicitly clear to consumers that there are insect protein. protein. Yeah. yeah. Regulation-wise, the other concern which I mentioned to Jessica, and she rightly said that it would need close attention, is the bioaccumulation argument. I've heard that mentioned yeah. a few times. Mm. That is a worry. And it's such a big worry. Does it warrant how much actual protein you're getting from insects? Obviously, as you said, you need to eat so many bugs to get like the same amount of protein. Well, the weight. The weight. It's when there's two different things here, right? So there's protein by weight, which insects perform very well in, as right. Jessica said. But so if you have 100 grams of protein, insect protein, 100 grams of um, beef protein, mm-hmm. they're broadly similar. In fact, the insects sometimes win. Mm-hmm. But if each Millworm consumes, let's just make up, one gram of cadmium, which is like loads, by the way, it's not real, but simple maths because my degree's in history. If each insect digests one gram of cadmium and you need to eat 100,000 millworms to make up that 100 grams, like, the dose is huge. It's -hmm. the same way that, like, big fish end up with microplastics in Mm. them because they eat tons and tons and tons of shrimp for example which accumulate plastic mm. it's the same argument mm. it's the same process that's what's got people worried mm. if the steps down the chain aren't right then we're going to have a problem and then Jessica said that some of the approvers have mentioned explicitly that you cannot use catering waste or to feed insects yeah that sort of made me sit up in my seat because I'm thinking well not what's the point of them but that's the whole appeal, isn't it, that we can yeah. use food waste to... Yeah, it's sustainable. It's just, it takes away a massive factor. There's a lot to consider. There do, is. Do there you know is. who does eat mealworms in the UK? My hedgehog. It's what we feed him. Loves them, does he, yeah? Absolutely loves well, them. Well, there you go. So it's Hamlet approved. Hamlet? Yeah. Did you know him? Yeah. Yeah. English lit? Yeah. He's got his own house and everything. Have you done these sort of like nice Shakespearean puns around him? Like... him? Well, I set him up on a date once with... We've got a toy hedgehog, and I went outside and put the toy hedgehog next to his mealworms, and then to put a little candle in the garden, and he wasn't up for it. He bolted. I just wonder how much, how much time you have to talk about like that. <laughs> this was before I started working with Nick. I hope so. Bloody hell, <laughs> I'll give him a work. Um, but yeah, Hamlet is a Hamlet fan approved. Of mealworms, so. Human, not so. No, it's interesting, isn't it? I do think animal feeds where we'll see yeah. more. That that's, that seems to me like a quick. Not quick. That seems like a more obvious win. Yeah, more achievable. Yeah, that seems more. I mean, I do feel like not given the cows a choice, but I do feel like that's an easier, quicker win yeah. than say human consumption down the line. Yeah. Um, There's so many factors with human consumption to consider. Yeah, there are. It's a lot more complicated. I was listening to a different podcast on the way to work this morning, and that was speaking about climate change and electric vehicles. And the mantra that was repeated by that guest was that there are no silver bullets. We look for quick fixes, don't we? Especially in the face of what are massive problems and challenges. Mm-hmm. And the food industry is no different. I mean, we've seen the fallout in the last six months around plant-based products, mm-hmm. the decline in popularity, the question marks over how nutritious they are. Mm-hmm. We do, we look for quick fixes, understandably so. Everybody wants to be told that the massive concerns we've got about meat consumption can be erased overnight by this one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's a lovely story to hear. Yeah. Not sure I feel it's the same with cultured meat, right? I mean, cultured yeah. meat, we all want that to work so much because it would just wipe out any of the concerns. If in 10 years' time we're in a position where we can make all, we can replace all meat with cultured meat yeah. at scale for relatively cheap cost, mm. we wouldn't have a podcast about sustainability, would we? It'd be eliminated, yeah. done. But we'd, that's, we'd have less of an insect discussion as well. We wouldn't have one. Mm. And that's, but that's not going to happen. The yeah. same way that insects are not going to replace 
everything to be very very boring it's gonna be a bit of both i feel like we probably insects will work for things like even things like mincemeat mm-hmm. things where we just chuck in meat to a dish yeah. or flour or they're gonna be able to supplement things like that mm-hmm. we're still gonna eat a steak i, I think that's that's yeah. gonna happen mm-hmm. well sustainable solutions take time but you're right the quick fixes are just too appealing and also they're so necessary at the moment mm. so it's kind of swings and roundabouts really decisions are made if you're trying to think of some foods where I think you could slot insects into, like fajitas, straight away. I could see some fajitas, you know like mealworm fajitas, I can see that. Yeah, couscous. Pasta, you said. Sweets. I've seen sweets with insects in. Like, well, Jessica mentioned the chocolate coated ants is one of the most popular insect varieties people have tried. No, but think about chocolate raisins. I bet they're not that different. Yeah, true. Well, watch this space. You're not for it, are you? You're still unconvinced. I'm unconvinced, but I'm more willing to try than I was 20 minutes ago. And that's, I suppose, a success of this episode. It is a win. (laughs) Um, Yeah, watch this space indeed. Really, really interested to see how this progresses. Um, The cost also, I I didn't get time to speak to Jessica about this. I'm also, I always think about the cost. I don't know how feasible it is cost-wise either. Mm. You think about how, I mean, they take up less land than cows, undoubtedly. Mm. But you still do need that infrastructure. You need a vertical farm. You need all this stuff that we don't have at the moment. Yeah. It's a lot of innovation. If you're an insect producer, I mean, write in and tell me that I'm completely wrong. That's yeah. that's fine. But if you're an insect farmer, write in. But yeah, I feel is that, like... is that what you call them, insect farmers? Yeah, I guess so. Great, I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah, enough insect chat for one week. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, it was really interesting. Really interesting, and um, yeah, we'll get you on the insect train and hopefully try something and yeah. get you on board. Well, eyes peeled for a video of me either eating or drinking some kind of insect. Yeah, product. we'll make that happen, hundred <laughs> percent. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Food To Go. If you enjoyed it, you can, of course, subscribe to New Food and get every episode through your inbox as part of our weekly newsletter. Um, You can also find all of our previous episodes on our website, newfoodmagazine.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, you know the drill. We'll be back very, very, very soon with another episode on sustainable farming. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.